We're glad you're back with us for the Smart Driving Cars podcast. We have another very worthwhile edition in store. And we are sponsored by the Smart ETF's Smart Transportation and Technology ETF, symbol MOTO. For more information, head to MOTOETF.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi again, Alan. Hey, good morning, Fred. Good morning. And we are happy to have with us once again, Michael Senna, internationally recognized expert and consultant in transportation and publisher of The Dispatcher. Thanks for joining in again, Michael. It's always a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you, Alan. Great having you, Michael. The March edition of The Dispatcher has arrived, and the lead article is headlined, Vehicle Testing. There is no way to test a car virtually. What you're tackling here, Michael, is the issue of cars being assembled in one region of the world and sold in another. Uh, some may shrug and say, isn't that the norm for all kinds of goods? So let's, let's get into the explanation here. It has been. I mean, we've, we've been manufacturing goods all over the world for quite a long time. I mean, it's, it, it didn't just start with the Industrial Revolution. Um, but we're, we're in a situation today or we have been maybe for, for the past 10 or 15 years, where we're not talking about uh, making porcelain in China and, and, and exporting it all over the world and people drinking tea or their soup out of it. The cars that we're producing today are not just bolts and nuts and, and uh, spark plugs and, and leather seats. The large portion of what we're doing today in our vehicles is software and more and more communication and even though many people who are working with software and telecommunication today may not remember a time when you couldn't take your mobile or you didn't have a mobile phone but you couldn't take your mobile phone from new jersey to korea or from from Stockholm to uh, Tokyo and have it work because today your iPhone works everywhere or your Samsung uh, Android based phone works everywhere. And they think, well, we're talking about the same thing, aren't we? I mean, it's a phone. Telecommunications works anywhere. I can, I can fly to Shanghai and my phone that I bought in, in um, Paris works perfectly fine there. But connected cars are, made with many of the same components that those telephones are made with, but they're put together in a way that's very different from those phones. There's communication, both data and voice that has to work, but the components that are put together in the car are subject to the same kind of testing that every one of every phone that's manufactured from Samsung to, to, to LZ, to Huawei and, and uh, Apple is subject to. Those phones have to be certified and verified everywhere. And in order to do that, you have to test them. And this is the, the point of the, of the article is that if you're building a car in one market, and let's, let's just say, let's take China out of the picture just, just for a second. Let's say the car is being produced in, um, in South Korea. And that car is going to be sold primarily in Europe. 
And let's say even not just Europe, but within the EU, it's not going to be sold in, in Russia. It's not going to be sold in, in uh, the Middle East. It's going to be sold within the EU where there are regulations that, 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 uh, that address telecommunications. Every single country in the EU at one point in time had its own telecommunications company or organization. Many of them were state-owned. Most of them, at least in the, within the EU, most of them were owned by the state. So every country started out having its own communications, telecommunications company. Each one of them was based, built and based on technology that, of course, worked internationally. You had to make a phone call internationally, but everything was based in the country. When those when those countries began to move into mobile mobile telecommunications, the operators were uh, not, went from nationalized to privatized, and more and more of the of the hardware was was based on companies providing hardware to individual companies, software being able to be used in each one of those. We we ended up having a situation which exists in every single country where they're all different. You cannot just simply say, well, I can connect to one mobile network operator in the UK like Vodafone and automatically I can connect to another. It just doesn't work that way. The base stations are different. The software is different. The hardware is different. And when you certify a telephone, whether it's an iPhone or a Samsung in the UK, you have to test all of those, those situations with your phones in order to ensure that the phone works. You have to do exactly the same thing with a, with a car. If you're building a car in South Korea and you don't do that until you deliver the car that's for, for sale in every single country within the EU, you have a very strong chance of having something that doesn't work in one or all of the countries. And my experience has been, and the reason why I wrote this article, my experience has been and rolling out tele telematic systems in in almost every EU country, also China and the, and the US and Canada, but in every EU, EU country, something is different. Something you find in that particular network with one of the roaming partners or with one of the, the, the mobile partners in, the, in that market is different and it doesn't work the same way for all of the networks. So if the first chance you get to test is with a car that's pre-production as opposed to, to a to a test car that's even, that's maybe a few months earlier, or even worse, you're you're making updates to the software in the car before it's actually sold, ready to be sold. The chances are you're going to be delivering a car that's not going to work properly. The localization is really important. It's probably you know more important in 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 this consumer product cars than it is in any other. Why? Because you have so many components, as you point out, and the localization, the local, the, the issues that happen that exist in that are just, are, 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 are extremely important. And then in some sense, if we, if we take this beyond just telematics and we take it to automation, where the car is going to have to drive itself, Oh my goodness, uh, sure, you can do a bunch with simulation, but you better put that sucker out there and make sure that it can with somebody in there ready to take over and, and do that in spades. 
otherwise, um, uh, it's going to be it's going to be ugly. Is that a is that a way to put it? That's a very good way of put it. I'm I focused in this in this article in this this issue uh, on simply on the communication side, right. and not not going beyond that. Uh, but in the next issue, I am going to be discussing the the that whole issue of operational design, design domain and and you know where you can use a car and how you can use it where localization is absolutely more important, most important. But in this case, that is the, the question of telecommunications. I guess I wrote this for people who were born maybe 20 or 30 years after me, that they, they're, they're not looking at this as a, as a significant issue. Maybe they've never worked with a, with a vehicle before and many of the people I'm, I'm talking with now in the car industry, they're, they're young, they've come from software, software background, and they're, or they've come from a telecommunications background. They don't have the car background where, where, they, where they see that all of this has to come together. It all has to work, and it has to work perfectly. It can't, you, you can't just have a bug that just stops things from working because the car is going to stop, as, as we know that some of them recently have done. And, yeah, and, 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 and of course, it, it, it exists within within telecommunication. It's existed in the car industry for some time with respect to weather. I mean, one wonders why, you know, some of the parts in cars are so, or they, they have to work from like, you know, zero degree Kelvin to boiling or whatever. It's not quite that bad, but yeah. my goodness, you, you can't have a car, you know, that, you, that, that I buy here in Jersey and then I drive to, to Minneapolis and it's minus 20 degrees and then the sucker won't start. I mean, I will be an unhappy camper. <laughs> Uh, and then I'll go back to the dealership and give it back to them. And guess what? I mean, you know, that's a no-go. The the auto industry re realized that's that's that simple aspect of localization long time ago, and that's why they have such stringent standards with respect to temperature and so on. What are what are possible solutions, if you will? I mean, I don't know if you, that's the right word. But what would be, what would be the remedy here, Michael? Well, if if you're determined to build a car from start to finish in a country, let's just say South Korea, and sell that car primarily in Europe or primarily in the United States, and, and oftentimes they are made for particular markets. I mean, some cars are not sold. We have a Corolla Verso um, van, almost it's a sort of a crossover. It's not sold anywhere except in in, um, in Europe. So cars are made for a particular market. If you're going to have those cars made for a particular market, don't put them together in a place that's far away. Make sure that you're, you've got manufacturing capability in that market so you can begin testing the vehicle from the time you have a vehicle to test. And that's you know, even, even before you go to, to a TT car or or certainly before you have a pre-production car, you have things that are out there that, that look and feel like a real car. And you start to get the telematic system in there. You start to get the, the IHU operational. You start to have connectivity with the network. You can do that at an early enough stage and you can take the car, even if you might not be able to drive it at that point, you can still take the car as opposed to a rig. Rigs, I've, people swear by rigs, I don't. Every time I've seen communications that have been developed only with, with a rig, 
um, once you get a car out there, it's completely different. So it put it together in the place where you're going to be using that car and find ways. If you don't have production facilities in those, those places, then set up a, a, a temporary production facility where you can actually take pieces of the cars, maybe not, not, not everything that you have, but pieces of the cars, and put them together as you would a car. Anyone who says that a rig works, anyone who says that you can do this remotely has never tried to do it. And those who have, have ended up paying lots of money. I didn't mention the name in the article where I said there is one, there is one company that I know of that has, has been using a SIM card from a North American provider and using it in, in Europe. And the, the experience that they've had is they've been paying lots and lots of money in roaming fees and it's been that at their cost because they just wouldn't listen to, to people who said, you shouldn't do this, put another SIM card in there, you know, put, and they'll do that when they start manufacturing their cars in Europe. And I'm sure that they're doing that with, with the cars that they're manufacturing in, in China right now. So something as simple as a SIM card yeah. is, is what about the, not to, not to push back really, but from a manufacturer's perspective, what if they say, okay, we can do that. Uh, as a one-off here or two-off here, we can we can make sure it works, and then we can go back and and build it where we want to build it. Well, if 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 you have a a temporary setup where you can take the cars and put them together and test them, and when I say test them, I mean testing. You don't just test them in in Brussels or test them in in Antwerp. You need to test them in every country where you're going to sell the car, and you need to do that early enough to find the problems and fix them so that you don't get so far down the line with software and, and hardware that you can't fix these problems before you're starting to sell them to your customers. And you, and you don't find these. If, you, if you've waited that long, if you haven't assembled the car and sent the car and tested it throughout the, the entire market, you can't find those problems until you sell a car to someone and, and things don't work. I mean, I've used this example before and there's enough press that's been, been out there, but I'll, I'll come out with it again. Volvo decided to build their Polestar in China. The primary markets for that car, the Polestar 2 is, a, is an electric vehicle. Primary markets for that car were, were the United States and, and Europe. They put that car out there. They had a recall after 2,000 cars because the cars were stopping. It was a, it was a software problem. 2,000 cars later, they had another recall for all the cars because they had to fix, they had to fix the problem again. The cars were simply stopping. That problem could have been found and fixed if they had been if they had tested those cars in the markets where they were going to be selling them long enough before they started producing them and selling them to customers. Well, I, I was going to jump in, Michael, and ask you, you know, what are the implications on the Chinese manufacturers? And because you, in your original comments, you excluded China, but then you came in and sort of it really told us what the implications are on the Chinese yeah. manufacturers, correct? Yeah. Well, as I do go in the article, I do go into other issues like, like privacy and where the data is going. And, and we have GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation in Europe, where it's very clear that data cannot go out of the, it cannot be used and stored in other places and where it potentially can be used for other applications than it should be. It doesn't have, you know, we don't have the reach to be able to get to get that data, and that definitely applies to uh, to China. I don't, you know, I don't want to to 
to beat up on China here. That's not that's not yeah, the point. No, of course you know, not. they've got a, they've got a big market. They've got they sell twice as many cars, almost twice as many cars as sold in any of the other other markets. It's big enough for them to be able to produce the cars there for that market. And anyone who wants to be selling cars in China should be producing them in China. Absolutely, Absolutely. I think yeah. that that's. And it, I, but I feel exactly the same way about cars that are sold in the United States and cars that are sold in, in Europe, it, particularly now when we were talking about the, the issue of connectivity. The, the producing a car in North America and trying to sell that car in, in Europe with, it, with the technology that's going into those cars, is, it's, it should be a non-starter for anyone. The cars should be tested. They should be produced. They should be tested. And, and made for the markets where they're the primary market markets where they're going to be sold. I haven't even gotten into the issue of South America, Africa, you know, Middle Australia, East, Australia. And if we well, look at, the, at Australia just over the past or a week or so with respect to Google and Facebook, again, it's a localization issue. What the heck are you doing here and how are you operating and how yeah. are you dealing with, with our localization? and our interests and what we see as, as being important to us and, and, and being able to deal that. I mean, we yeah. are somewhat all different around the world and, and we have to respect those differences and in and, 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 and the things that we do. I think Great. a company like McDonald's learned that a long time ago, tailoring, <laughs> yeah. their, tailoring their burgers to different countries and regions exactly. of the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah of exactly. course. I mean, you know, and it's really important here. It, related to this, uh, Michael, in another section of the Dispatcher or another article, you talk about China being one of the places where the new electric Ford Mustang Mach-E SUV is being built. Yeah, there were there were a couple of couple of reasons <clears throat> that that article was more about Ford doing something to to one of its cars. That's that it was notorious. You know, the the first uh, Thunderbird that came out, this you know beautiful little car you could have it in, in powder blue or pink or white or some people. Yeah, I mean, what a beautiful car! And what then a and then you car. yeah, and then you you see it. You, now, over the years, it just got bigger and bigger and, and more, you know. It must it was, have gotten married it was, or something. It was, it was grotesque. <laughs> it was grotesque. <clears throat> and here they had a Mustang. And Mustang has done, you know, over the years, Mustang has done a, Ford has done a pretty good job of, you know, of not obliterating the, the original Mustang, even though it's about twice the size as it was when it started. But this thing that they've come out with, this Tesla-esque vehicle, um, and they are manufacturing it in Mexico as well and selling it into the United States. And, but the primary market for it is, I guess, is going to be China. So the article was really more about, you know, what a, what a company like Ford has become. Why are they, why are they taking the, the, this, this, this icon of, of American automobile ship, uh, the, the Mustang, Turning it into some sort of a of a Humpty Dumpty egg, and then and then manufacturing it in China as an electric electric car. I mean, it's just it just doesn't make it. It says a lot about Ford, uh, but it just doesn't make sense. So, well, what about the electric Hummer that uh, that GM's going to be producing? I mean, what, what the hell is that thing? What, what is? I mean. Uh, oxymoron or what? I don't know. What? <laughs> yeah, an electric, electric Hummer. Electric. I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I, I thought it was. I mean, I thought 
we all thought the Hummer was dead. You know, that Arnold Schwarzenegger had his had his fling and you know he got the car that he wanted. And then, you know, yeah. Yeah. I said everyone <laughs> then said he became okay. governor and Ooh, of, yeah. of California or something, yeah. and somehow whatever. And we thought we were done with that sucker. Yeah. But who know, needs for, a Hummer? Yeah, who really does need a Hummer? I mean, you know, if you want to run over folks and, you know, might as well put a turd on there and be, become uh, um, <laughs> and run for president, uh, Gukakis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> never, right. Whatever. Uh, okay. Never, never mind. I guess yeah. we're so old. <laughs> that's my that's my take on on, uh, on the on the Mustang. You also have an insightful take, uh, Michael, on what's going on in Washington, D.C., where the state of California and automakers and the Biden administration now being in the driver's seat, so to speak, uh, when it comes to climate issues and vehicle emissions. That's, that's a real tangle there that, you've, that you're tackling. If there's one article that I would like everyone to read, that's, that's the one. I mean, that, that, I think that one, I've, I've really, I've tried to pull all of the different pieces together that may not have been obvious to to someone just kind of looking at this is going on here and that's that's happening there. This is all of one piece. I mean, here is a here are a group of people, and I, and I mean people. They they're this, the CEOs of these different car companies, and where you had a split between one group, Ford, Volvo, a couple of others on one side, it said, "We're going to go with California. We're going to back California in in their fight." against the administration as as joe joe biden has called called him the former guy i think that's a perfect <laughs> perfect expression i mean i use the ex potus so the ex potus <laughs> former guy that that administration um and they stuck with they stuck with they said california we're gonna go with you and boy they took a lot of grief from that administration and then another group of people Running, running other companies, including GM at, at the time, said, we're going to back NHTSA because we want to have stability. We want to have one policy. We don't want to have two policies. And as soon as the election was over, GM flipped. Mary Barra said, oh, yeah, now we think that it's a great idea. We're going to support California and we're not going to support the other guys. You know, I, I think it's just to look at how this has developed and the different organizations, one organization being in one place, the other organization being in another place. The Biden administration has said very clearly, this is what we want to do. This is and this is how we want to achieve what we want to do. We are we're going to have one policy. We're going to support as best we can the most stringent, but we're not going to go as far as California had decided to go. Um, but we're certainly not going to go as, as, as low as the former administration was going. So here's what we want to do. And now it's going to be a, it's going to be a, oh, I don't think it's going to be a fight any longer, but I think it's going to be a point of discussion. And it all depends on who's running the, the, who's running NHTSA, who's running the, the Department of Transportation, who's running the emergency, the, the energy office. And I think we just found out who that, that's going to be. Um, but one thing that seems to be clear is that, that, that 
what was going on during the last four years where things are being pulled back and we don't have to we don't have to have these regulations these tight regulations is not going to be the situation anymore but if if you if you were paying attention to what i've been writing over the last couple of years i've said these kinds of rules are killing first of all they're, they're destroying the the existing value of the companies making ice vehicles because they can't move fast enough to to get these restrictions into them without going to complete electrification and before we get there we have companies who are paying elon musk to go to mars by giving him tons of money to meet the regulations because you can buy your way in you can buy the the uh, meeting of the regulations without getting the fine by taking an electric company's zero emissions and adding them to yours. So he's, his profitability is based on primarily based on getting money for doing things for, for doing nothing except making electric cars. So this is going to be a very complex issue over the course of the, the next couple of years as, as things sort of begin to, to even out and we decide, people begin to decide, am I going to buy an electric car? Am I going to, to take that step or am I not? going to do that and that's where the other article about ice elon's drink of of preference ice versus neat um that's where that that article comes in so i i think this is the probably the most important issue that, that the automobile companies are going to be facing during the next next year or two years well it, it may also be our most important infrastructure issue too Yep. And 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 I sort of said to my class over the past week or 10 days ago, um, what's it going, not going to take for somebody in Texas to buy an electric car after what happened, even though, you know, probably they couldn't get gasoline either, because if you don't have an electric pump to pump the gasoline from the tank into your into your car, you probably couldn't get electricity anyway, or, or get, get uh, gas anyway. But still the perception that that was put into the folks of Texas are saying, Oh my goodness! I'm going to rely on this grid going forward. I mean, uh, is it, and and somebody's got to deal with that because yeah. because it's it's non-trivial. It basically means we've got to, you know, have have more than double-digit improvement in that grid whenever mm-hmm. anybody's going to produce these things now luckily it's going to take them a while to produce them but how does one do that and 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 where's that, all that stuff going to come from i mean we can't bring coal trains from the from the powder river basin or from you know scranton uh to to fuel these things because then people will go nuts so what the hell do we do <laughs> well Let's make a plug for the the smart driving cars panel on the first of April. Alan. <laughs> no, we're going to be discussing this with Fred Fred Dreyer and company. Yeah, with Fred Dreyer and company yeah. and so on and, and and whatever and you know a number of companies have come out recently to point out that you know saying we're going to be 100% electric by so and so date and whether you know Ford. I guess said what they say by 2030 in Europe yeah. or something like that, where, where Jaguar said, um, I guess, worldwide by 
2025 or something and i yeah. really i guess they don't sell any cars so that's no no, no <laughs> not sorry about that that's <laughs> they're um, getting close to it yes yeah, yeah. I, I mean, michael you had started to talk about the the this other article that that you have in there that's just so so well written in, in such a fun way the the uh, driving neat can the u.s take its cars without ice internal combustion engines and you're you're saying there that europe and the u.s are, are following different paths yes yeah well the, the the charts the charts that i have in there show it pretty clearly so if you take a look at the at those charts you see where where the u.s is and and there was a jd power that came out study that came out just today or yesterday where uh, 60 percent of the of Americans are pretty much on the fence, which means they're probably not going to be buying an electric car, and there are just too many issues. I mean, there there just are too many difficult issues that are not being resolved by either companies or government in the United States, but are being tackled by government and companies in Europe. You know, the the fact that the Germans are doing one thing. Germans and, and Norwegians and, and Brits and even Swedes to, to a large extent are providing bonuses for buying electric cars and they're providing and they're, they're uh, dishing out uh, uh, extra taxes and, and uh, fines for buying cars which are non-electric. Now, so that the Biden administration has said that, that they're going to be supporting electric, electrification. They're going to be offering tax breaks, which were taken away. They were offered by the Obama administration. They were taken away by the former guy um, and now probably coming back with, with Biden. But still, you've got you to, gotta, people have to believe that they're, they're not going to be disadvantaged by having these vehicles that they can't use like they've used their other vehicles. They can't take them and they can't, you know, wherever they want to take them and they, they may have problems and, you know, sitting at a gas station former gas station for for a couple of hours or even a half an hour to to fuel up so that you can get to your destination it's just not acceptable so um where we are at it we definitely are at a point right now where it's an inflection and it looks like the inflection is pointing upwards in europe but it's not pointing upwards in the united states and it's a big market yeah, I think there was a, a recent thing that I just tripped over and didn't realize that I guess the Chevy Chevy Bolt, if you buy one, they're going to put in a level two char charger in your garage as long as it's standard, whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. I have no idea what the hell that means. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, that's... <sighs> That's a move, but you know anybody who doesn't have a—I mean that—that's again for us rich people that have garages and so on. I yeah. mean, what happens to all the folks that sort of park their cars on the you know on the curb in front of their houses and so on? What, what, what I guess they're not part of the people that are going to convert over to these things. They'll, they'll use the old ice and, and you know, things and and get around. Is that? Is that there'll be, there'll be plenty of used cars for for those people who want to continue buying them. I've got a neighbor. We, we have a. We don't have a garage here. We have a parking parking space. We have two spark parking spaces because we have one apartment is an office and one apartment is where we live. So we got two parking spaces. Um, but in order to install a charger there, we'd need the approval of the 
the condominium association <laughs> and it's it's a big cost and what happens when we move which we could move, we could do you know maybe tomorrow we almost did a couple of weeks ago like like but people yeah. don't move people don't live in apartments they all have nice whatever suburban uh, uh, single family homes with the with three quarters of an acre and then what did 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 no um Read the stuff that people are saying everybody's going to live in a city. You know, in a couple of years, everybody's going to live in a city. <laughs> no, okay, I mean, if everybody's going to live in a city, why, why the heck are you talking about electric, like electric cars? Because there's going to be any place. I remember when we had, in, our, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, you had, we had, in every, every, every other town, you had a place where you put the money you put your quarter actually it was a nickel and then it was a dime then it was a quarter and you could park there for an hour mm -hmm. and then they took away all that and then you had a place where you put the nickel or the dime in there and you put a piece of paper in your and, and today you know if if you don't have an app where there's you don't put anything in your car you give them all the information about you know the license plate number and they know exactly where you've parked for how long and they're using this data for some reason but you also you're paying for a parking all of that stuff is gone. You know, all of the infrastructure that we had there, you know, messing up the, the road is all gone. Now we're going to put it back. We're going to put it back. We're going to put, we're going to put every, at every place, there's going to be a, a little pole where you're going to stick your, your, your you know, your, this. You're going to stick your, your, your uh, line there. And it's, they're all going to be over the place. And then they're going to snow and they're going to be under the ice. And they're going to be all snowed in. And, no, it's going to be like we do apparently with our phones. We can just put it on top of this and never have to connect it, and it's going to do it magically through the air. Wire, wireless it. charging. <laughs> Aren't we yeah. going to do that? I don't know. I hope Man, so. I'm going to invest in wireless charging capabilities. I mean, and, and we'll get governments to pay for it. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Uh, game yeah. stock. Yeah, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you miss Tesla and Bitcoin, I guess. I miss Tesla. I miss Bitcoin. I, bit, I miss GameStock. I miss them. I miss them. I, I buy high, sell low. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, the, you know, I, well, um, that, that leads us to <laughs> a break here. It's a good time to remind you, especially you, Alan, about our sponsor, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology ETF. The symbol is MOTO. You can get more info at MOTOETF.com. On the website, it's a good idea to read the white paper titled The Smart Transportation Revolution under the Insights and News tab. Great information there to help you make informed decisions about investing. And you may know that ETFs can be a good way, a smart way to spread risk with investments and focus on a particular category of stocks. The site again is MOTOETF.com. Absolutely. Well, Alan I'm writing it there. there. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in there. Jim, here, take my money. You figure out how now to invest it. Because I certainly can't figure out. You spread it around. Because man, all I do is is um, I don't even want to I don't even want to tell you. I mean, whatever. Well, Alan, in the in the latest Smart Driving Cars newsletter, you've got a headline from LIDAR maker Velodyne. Founder David Hall has stepped down following an investigation into what's called inappropriate behavior. I don't think they've been more specific than that. And also his wife. And I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what happened. It's 
The only thing I know is that the company that Dave built with his wife um, was picked up by a a SPAC. And, um, you know, I guess that's what SPACs do. Um, What a shame. I don't know. What a shame. I mean, enormous entrepreneur really deserves enormous credit for for taking this industry from uh, helping it go from the DARPA challenges uh, to, in some sense, where it is. I mean, and um, and uh, because of the availability of LIDAR, I think it, it allowed people to at least uh, think that that they could build enough intelligence into a vehicle that that it could actually operate in the in, on the public roadways without having to go to a Department of Transportation and say put all this technology in there, please just make the surface uh, somewhat smooth and put some paint out there, and and we'll be we'll do just fine. And and um, and uh, hey, I don't know what happened. It, it, I, I don't want to dig into what happened. I just think it's an enormous shame, enormous respect for, for Dave and his wife. And uh, well, as, as you said, the LIDAR industry is certainly growing pretty fast. Lots of, lots of companies. Yeah, all over. They, they're the yeah. ones, they're the ones, they're the ones that made it now, you know, who knows? I mean, whatever. But when you go with a SPAC, I guess there's, there, there's strings attached with the money. You highlight a report uh, in the newsletter that says Wabtech believes full automation for railroads is within reach. And look well, at that mantle. Look at that mantle behind you. <laughs> I finally, I finally found somebody else that was saying that. It's saying that. I mean, it is such a tough thing to say in the railroad industry. Why? Because the rail unions are so strong and and of course they should be you know people deserve to to have good working conditions and deserve to be able to feed their families no problem there but you know in the 70s we bought out three of the jobs of the five-man crews and basically saved the freight railroad industry in the united states okay and maybe it's time to buy out the last two Okay, so that in fact you can go to driverless railroads and, and engineeringless railroads and take the labor component out of the movement because what leads you to have to run 200 car unit coal trains is because they have to be crewed. And because you require the crew, you have to spread that labor cost over as much coal as you can. Now, as long as you're moving coal and, and heck, North, Norfolk Southern move coal downhill. I mean, what a great business. I mean, you move the loaded stuff downhill and the empty stuff back uphill. I mean, you know, you know God almost uh, does all the work for you, but you have to provide the crews. If you can get rid of the crews, then the train doesn't have to be so long. And maybe you can have just, you know, a couple of things on there. And what does that do? That allows you to increase the frequency and the number of origins and destinations that you deal. So instead of just Powder River Mason to Texas on a coal train, 200 cars long, you might actually be able to provide very energy efficient mobility to goods movement from a lot of different places. 
there's not a market there. There's not, there's not a value proposition. And if you grow the market big enough, those two people that you've taken out of the crew, there are plenty of jobs that they'll be able to do that they can readily be retrained to do such that you increase employment too. Because if you look at employment in the railroad industry since, you know, well, if we go back to 1950 or what, I mean. Are you talking about the competing with the, the kinds of automated shuttles that are becoming more and more popular? And you can do the automated shuttle. Holy mackerel, you're already on the railroad. Most of it is fenced anyway. And, you know, they really can't run off the road. The, the rails, I mean, I know it can't hop the rails and whatever you go. I mean, automation, that is like trivial. And you have, you have, you have the right of ways. Probably in some places where you've torn up the second track, you'll have to put in another, put the track back. All of a sudden, I mean, I don't know. Uh, but as I look at freight railroading, since I guess I played and I like to say that uh, I participated in Conrail from its inception to its internment, you know, over a 25-year period, okay? I participated in that. And, you know, and I look at it today, you know, it's a good thing you're moving the oil because the movement of coal... And, you know, it's a shame. TechCrunch is reporting that Apple supplier Foxconn has reached a, a tentative deal to build Fisker's next electric car. And that made it into the newsletter and drew some comments. Well, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what that means, but go, Michael, yeah, go. Yeah, I mean, Fox, Foxconn seems to be in a position right now where it's where it's going to be doing manufacturing of everything for everybody and i, I read the other, just yesterday that foxconn is is actually doing manufacturing for intel and they're they're they have to be two of the the biggest competitors intel manufactures its own chips but uh foxconn i guess has decided that it's process not product which is what they're they're capable of, of perfecting. Mm -hmm. And if they can, if they can manufacture chips, they can manufacture cars in their, in their thoughts. Um, and they've t proven that they can do it at a small scale. And I think they probably can do it at a, at a large scale. I mean, if, if Elon Musk could build a, a, a car manufacturing facility from scratch, I think Foxconn can do it as well. And probably do it much faster and, and much more efficiently. So I'm not at all surprised, but the the compet the, the competition to Foxconn is, is the, the the magnets, the companies that are in this business already. Um, Glenn um, came Mercer. up, yeah, Glenn, Glenn Mercer. Mercer last last week in our in our uh, session identified who the main players are. But I, I mean, I think it's I think Foxconn is building an electric car. It's coming as close as you can to, to something that they they're already building, even though it's much larger than a than a microchip. So, I don't know. I mean, it's 
it's a big organization. It's a very well-run organization. They seem to be doing extremely well in everything that they do. Uh, Taiwan is a great place to be to be in business. Uh, it's a wonderful country, by the way. If, if you've ever, mm -hmm. I was there on one occasion, and it's it's one of the places I really wanted to go back to because I really I really liked the people and I liked the, what I saw. Yeah, we even had an office in Taiwan for a while. So yeah, really? I, 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 the, the, you know. Uh, Taiwan's a yes, and 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 I, I point to the newsletter. We do have links a link to uh, Glenn Mercer's slides in, yeah. in in the newsletter, and one should take a look at that. The interesting thing, of course, that he really emphasizes: if you're building a car, you better know how to paint. And yeah. that's one of the things that I took. I didn't. I didn't exactly. realize. I didn't realize that paint was so damn important. But he, important. he hit me over the head with that one. Yeah. Uh, but 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 that really, if one looks at, even though there's an OEM nameplate on a car, uh, the 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 global manufacturing and, and global supply chain, in some sense, that that comes to play, and all the different partners and all the different people. Foxconn, you know, how many pieces of that are they going to do? Who are they going to then partner with, acquire, whatever, and so on, put under the Foxconn? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're as, not going to, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Foxconn is going to concentrate on a, on a portion of it. It's the electronics as, and, uh, and leave the, the painting and welding and, and uh, pressing to someone else, like, for example, Geely. Yeah. Yeah, right. And so, you know, and, and assembling all that stuff. So, um, you know, I take Foxconn, you know, building a car means uh, maybe they're, you know, they're, they're, they are doing the electronics or maybe, you know, the whole organizational manufacturing process aspect of this, as Michael, you know, very clearly pointed out, is, is an important piece of creating a product. Well, maybe it's a preview to another Apple announcement. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess that's the uh, that's the other reason why I put it in there because a lot of people, because of Apple, da 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 da. But but in a sense, you know, that if one's if my pro my problem and mate Michael, I'd like to have your comments on it. my problem with Apple building a car is it's going to be Apple Play instead of instead of a driverless car, <laughs> you know, because I'd like to see a driverless car, why? Because you know, whatever, for whatever reasons, you know, Apple's out there wanting to, to, to entertain you, infotainment. And, and that's really what they're interested in. Uh, they just they just want you to consume their product when you're, you know, in that vehicle. And, and, and so they're all about making sure that, that you're not engaged in driving. And I'm just wondering whether or not they're as, 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 as intense in making sure that the car is driven safely because they've taken you out of the driving part and consumed you in their infotainment. 
that's what bothers me about Apple. Well, if they're not, they're, it's doomed to failure. I mean, we've seen that. Isn't that true? Well, yeah, I guess it's doomed to failure. Although, you know, I, I think that if one looks at the U.S. automobile, the, the, the rest of the OEMs, Tesla on the one side and the rest of the OEMs on, on the other side, the rest of the OEMs sort of, uh, I, I'll, I'll overstate it, um, embrace technology for infotainment purposes to basically distract you from driving. At least Elon is out there supposedly worried about trying to make sure that the car drives itself so that when you're distracted, it doesn't crash. Now, whether or not Elon, is, and that's what he sells. That's one of the things that he sells in, in his Tesla. Yeah. Michael, I'd like to have your comments on that one. <laughs> yeah, well, I, as I think I've said many times, I'm, I'm, I am definitely not in the market for a Tesla or, and wouldn't be for, for quite a long time. Um, because for a lot of reasons. I mean, if, 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 if I could afford to buy a car that is a wonderful piece of engineering and is, has all of the safety features of advanced driver assistance systems today, not tomorrow, um, that is efficient from the standpoint of driving, but it also in, in terms of ownership, um, then I'm I'm looking at a Lexus. I'm looking at a BMW. If I step back and say, "Well, I can't afford those," what what are the cars that I that I buy that give me those features? Then I'm then I'm into my my Toyota, my Rav Four, um, and that I I can buy that as a as a as an ICE. I can buy it as a hybrid, and I can buy it as a as a plug-in hybrid today. And I'll be able to buy it as an electric hybrid, but I wouldn't. Um, and then on the other side, I've got cars like like Volvo, uh, terrific cars that are being produced today by Renault, by by Solantis, you know, P, uh, Peugeot. Subaru? Can I throw Subaru on there too? Yeah, you know, I always forget Subaru, and I shouldn't forget Subaru. Sh- we shouldn't. I, I it just, is, I, it's I, one of the best cars on the road. I, I I agree with you. I yeah. mean, their eyesight system is damn good. You go Terrific. into a showroom and they actually know about it and they know how to speak properly about it. Uh, what you know? You're disagreeing with me? Or, no, absolutely no, no, not. It's, no, you know, I mean, there's one amazing. car. There's one car that's in one of the one of the fishing magazines that I get. It's a sport fishing magazine. The only car that's advertised in there is Subaru. Now we have a sport fishing ex- expedition every year. Not this year, but but. And the only car that's in the in the in the in the uh, ex- exhibition hall is a Subaru. It's it's a terrific car, and I always forget it. And I shouldn't. Yeah, yeah no, should. I, no, I agree with you. I there was there was mention in the in the in the session that that you moderated the a week ago about uh, Hyundai being such a well-made car too these days. So interesting. Yeah. Well, Hyundai. Unfortunately, Hyundai's had a problem with their. With their uh, with their batteries, I'm going to be looking into that, that for the next issue because it's 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 not just a problem for Hyundai; it's a problem for for Tesla's had huge problems with batteries blowing up. Um, I've I've toyed with the idea of calling of giving the title you know, 
hot balls of fire, but I think I'd better back <laughs> off. <laughs> Alan, uh, one, one more story to touch yeah. on, I yeah. suppose. Uh, Intel owned Mobileye, partnering with uh, French firms to develop self-driving 16 passenger shuttles over the next few years. You, I think you pointed out that it's unlikely that these would be truly driverless. I, well, I, you know, I mean, if you're going to have, if you're going to build a vehicle to carry 16 people, you can afford a driver. Okay. Yeah. And 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 therefore, and there and 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 so, uh, and and if you're not going to have 16 people in there, then why have a vehicle that big? And if you're going to deal with 16 passengers. I mean, you have these sprinter vans that are being produced, whatever, and, you know, and so on. And that's the competition. And now you're going to hang all these gizmos and whatever else. And, and then, I mean, what are you trying to accomplish? Okay. Again, to me, to me, the point, the point's being missed out there. There are only two markets for this thing. One is for a vehicle that I'm going to own or Michael's going to own, it's going to improve safety and give me some comfort and convenience and let me, you know, slough off to somebody else some responsibility in driving. That's the one end. The other end, if, I, if I'm going to put the automation in the vehicle, then the value that I get from that is that, is that the labor, what I do for free for myself in my car I'm not asking it uh, can be done for free for somebody else because there's not a person in there. It's only for mobility purposes. And it's only for the provision of mobility where you can provide a high quality mobility and pay for the person. Otherwise, pay for the person. Otherwise, it's been, it's been done you know, for mo- over 100 years. And the problem that we find ourselves, at least I claim we find ourselves in the mobility space, is that in places where you can't aggregate enough people to stick them all in the same vehicle at the same time, that satisfies well enough their needs, and you only can do it on the twosies and threesies basis, that's the sweet spot for the automation. I can't see anybody investing any money in anything other than that. You either have the money to, you have enough customers to pay for the driver, pay for the driver. You're not going to be safer without a professional driver. That's near impossible. A professional driver trained? Are you kidding me? Well, there'll be more on this at, at, at upcoming <laughs> sessions at the Princeton Smart Driving Car Summit. I guess so. I don't, but that's just me. What the hell? I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So whatever, you know. Well, this was my way to, to plug into the summit. The, the yeah, upcoming come in the summit so you can hear from some people that actually know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> well, it's continuing every Thursday live at noon Eastern time through the middle of April. And you can get more information at smartdrivingcar.com, information about registering. You can also get information maybe about becoming a sponsor. We want to thank Michael Senna for taking the time with us once again. Thank you so much, Michael. Always great insights. It's always my pleasure. 
Always great, Michael. And we certainly need sponsors. Darn it. I mean, you know, alms for the poor, please. (laughs) (laughs) We thank our sponsor here, the Smart ETFs, Smart Transportation and Technology (laughs) ETF. The ticker symbol for the ETF is MOTO. More information is available at MOTOETF.com. You can find us at smartdrivingcar.com, also on Anchor FM, Spotify, TuneIn, Apple, Google, Spreaker. Amazon has podcasts too, SoundCloud and more. Ask your smart speaker to play us. You can find my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin along with Alan Kornhauser. Thank you for listening or watching and please continue to stay safe. And please all stay safe. And if you weren't on yesterday, um, let everybody know that I got my second. uh, I was very fortunate to be able to get my second uh, vaccination shot. And if you have the opportunity to get one, don't pass it up.